preach you in Jesus' name tonight. First of all, before we get into the message, uh, someone asked me, um, what exactly does, in the preordination points and procedures, it says, uh, we discourage the nomination of a close family member, for example, a father nominating his son, a son nominating his father, a man nominating his brother, etc. What do you mean by that? How far does that go? Well, I'm not sure that I can actually answer that question, but uh, there's some principles that I believe we need to look at. And... Uh, you know, someone came into the room and nom a man came in and nominated himself. We would say, well, that's fairly selfish. Uh, we would take a pretty dim view of that. And uh, rightly so. Um, if someone came in and nominated a dad, came in and nominated his son, he'd say, yeah, well... Maybe, maybe not. How else, you know, that, that would put a little different flavor on. It's not himself. Um, so, yeah. Um, and I'm sure as a parent, there's some satisfaction. I've never been a parent of a person who was ordained, so I, I would suppose it might be some satisfaction or a little bit of, whatever, if your son was ordained, I don't know. So, um, if a person came in and nominated a cousin, you'd say, yeah, well, it's a cousin. So the, the point, the point, I guess, that, that in my mind is the principle the principle that we sort out our sort out the difference between God's leading and our own personal uh, our own personal um, agenda, if you know what I mean. Uh, that we keep our flesh out of all this. So. You will notice it does not say we forbid, it says we discourage. And so, um, I guess the principle is that um, if you're going to nominate someone, make sure that your flesh is out of the picture. That's, I guess that's the best summary that I can place on that. So, um, you nominate a relative, I suppose we will assume that you have prayerfully sought the Lord and that this is a decision based on his leading not on any personal preferences of your own. And I suppose that would apply to any of us.
I suppose if you went according to all the rest of this, praying earnestly, keeping your discussions, fasting, praying, whatever, I, I, I think that everything else will be in order. So, biblical qualifications for ministry. The subject tonight... The Bible gives uh, qualifications for a minister, and I suppose if everybody, if if we look for someone that had arrived on all the qualifications, we we'd go home empty-handed tonight. The preachers would go home with a blank sheet. Uh, I remember Paul Shirk making the statement in his uh, revival meetings here. He said, "Spiritual is not a position; it's a direction." And it doesn't matter if you're ordained or not. Our spiritual life is a direction. We are constantly learning. And that, that applies to minister. Um, I was encouraged last Sunday morning. We were in our little minister's thing back there and discussing a few things and of course uh, one of the things in my mind is I don't botch up the communion service somehow or the other and, and so I, I, I was a little foggy on a point and so I says to Arnie I said do you do it this way or you do it this way uh, which comes first and he said you know he said I can't really recall oh well I thought Bishops that were bishops ten years headed all down the path. They knew exactly how it came in order. And so that was encouragement to me that it can be done several ways. And and then he made a statement. You know, sometimes it's good to just state the obvious. You know, he said, "Well, Dennis has still a lot to learn about being a bishop." <laughs> Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Um, yeah, I thought I had it all down the paper here, and then I get down there, and I can't remember who comes where, which side goes this, and so I'm apologizing. And, and as long as I'm a minister, as long as I'm a bishop, I'll be learning. And so we're not looking for someone who has arrived. We're looking for someone who is has working on the qualifications not to be a minister just working on what God wants him to be as, a, as an individual, as a brother in the church, etc. So leadership is not necessarily a position it's a direction too. Now I will say I've learned a lot in the last over how many since 1981 and I would be the poorest specimen if I hadn't learned anything about being a minister since 1981 but I'm still learning and you know one of the things I enjoy is going to minister study week 
for the first 10 years I was ordained, I went to Minister Study Week every year. It is invaluable to me. Uh, incredibly am amount you can learn at Minister Study Week. But I still go, and you know, I went then so to rub shoulders with the older people, you know, to get a little wisdom off of them. I still do. And, uh, beginning with uh, 1 Peter 5.5, 5, the first qualification I have here this evening in my list is humility. And I've said it with this pulpit before that humility is the foundation of every Christian grace. It doesn't matter what you do for God. If it's not rooted in humility, it is bound to fail. It will not work. It simply won't. Pride destroys God's work. It destroys our lives Etc. First Peter five five. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourself unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. That is quite uh, a loaded and packed verses there. Humility, interpersonal relationships, working with each other, minister working with a congregation, person working with their brother or sister in the church. It says we need to be clothed with humility because God resists the proud. Now, I don't know about you, but whether you're a minister or whether you're not, you certainly want God on your side. You want God pulling for you. I want God pulling for me. And it says that God resists us. Well, I can tell you, and it's obvious to us all, that we're not going to get very far resisting God. But the, but the flip side of that is God gives grace. God gives the ability to do, to live the way he wants us to live. That's, he, that he gives us grace. If we don't think we know it all, if we don't have all the answers, if then he can come in there and he can, he can fill our hearts and our lives with his power. Moses. John the Baptist. Humble. Nothing flashy, nothing... To draw attention to themselves, actually, I think Moses' humility was a little bit, hmm, went a little overboard when God wanted him to talk, and he says, I can't talk. Uh, but humility is the foundation of true greatness in the eyes of God. John the Baptist said, and he summed it up in several words, he said, he must increase and I must decrease. That's how he summed it up. Oh, made a mistake already. I missed my first point. <laughs> back. That's point two. Let's go back to point one. Very basic. and But, born again and filled with the Holy, Holy Ghost. That's point number one. Born again and filled with the Holy Ghost. And we assume that. But that is 
person who is not born again and not filled with the Holy Ghost and tries to lead God's people, I can tell you, the flock is going to scatter. It's going to be a business, not a church. Number two, humility. Number three, self-control. Titus 1, verse 6 says, If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God. Now he's using bishop as an illustration here, but it applies to all, all of leadership for certain. Not self-willed. Not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So we have illustration of a person here in two contrasting uh, two contrasting personality, personality uh, character qualities if I may say it that way you have a person that is if you have someone that's self-willed everything's got to go my way and if it doesn't go my way then I become angry so that I can start pressuring people so that I get in my way, uh, I looked up the striker one. I was like, what does a striker mean? And it actually means punching someone out. Now, I never heard of a preacher punching out somebody, <laughs> punching out a, another preacher or a church member. I, th I think preachers probably have enough carnality once or twice in their life they probably felt like it uh, but no it's actually saying not given to money self control so you have angry selfish in comparison the person who gives and gives, a person that is loves hospitality, loves people, um, lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, and being able to come to a personal um, position in relation to the scriptures. To be able by sound doctrine to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Holding fast the faithful word. Holding that fast. Something that's somebody that's not wishy-washy. Self-controlled uh, includes being patient. And I suppose anyone in leadership, doesn't matter if it's a church or in business or whatever, oh, have plenty of opportunities in their lifetime to exercise patience when you work with people. And um, 
Someone has said a minister has many opportunities to exercise cool-headedness and be able to think clearly under pressure. So, yeah, that's true. Our minister in Ohio told me, he said, Dennis, you uh, have to be shockproof. You have to be shockproof. Uh, and when the phone rings, you don't know what. You have to be shockproof. Well, as much as I appreciated that warning, uh, ministers can't be shockproof. Um, I guess when I think of that statement, I think of the time the phone rang and and the uh, sister in the congregation said that her husband accidentally shot the neighbor girl. You can't get shockproof to that. That's The self-control. I ran across uh, something written by A.W. Tozer many years ago, and I rooted around until I found it. And I quote him. This is in relation to self-control. There are many areas in our Christian lives where in our effort to be right, we may go wrong. So wrong as to lead to spiritual deformity. To be specific... Let me name a few. When in our determination to be bold, we become brazen. Courage and meekness are compatible qualities. Both were found in perfect proportion in Christ, even in conflict with his enemies. Number two. When in our desire to be frank, we become rude. Now we're talking about Self-control. When in our desire to be frank, we become rude. Candor without rudeness was always found in the man Christ Jesus. The Christian who boasts that he calls a spade a spade is likely to end by calling everything a spade. When in our, number three, when in our effort to be watchful, we become suspicious because there are many adversaries. The temptation is to see enemies where none exist or to develop a spirit of hostility to everyone who disagrees with us. Number four, when we seek to be serious and become somber. Gloominess is a defect of character and should never be equated with godliness. Joy is a great therapeutic for the mind. When we seek to be serious and become somber. Number five, when we mean to be conscientious and become overscrupulous. If the devil cannot succeed in destroying the conscience, he will settle for making it sick. I know Christians who live in a state of constant distress, fearing that they may displease God. They believe this self-torture to be a proof of godliness, but how wrong they are. Just some illustrations I thought he brought out very well on being self-controlled. 
Number four in our outline, unselfish. A leader is, must be people-oriented. Must be people-oriented. Because a leader leads people. And so, uh, a leader must be interested in the souls of men. Um, and his wife will need to be unselfish also. She gives and gives and gives so he can give and give and give. Um, my wife and I had this little discussion about who's it hardest on the, the man who's ordained or his wife. And uh, she said she thinks it's a wife. She thinks it's a wife. And I said, well, I can't prove that because there's never been a wife. How would I know? And she can't prove that it's the husband too because she's never been the husband. So, uh, I don't know. It's a joint effort. But one thing for sure, they both need to be giving people. They need to be people who love those who follow. Someone said a politician is a man who tries to get the votes of the people he secretly hates. It's the definition of a politician. But that doesn't work in the church, and this is not politics either. Someone else said, the best part of being a leader, relating to people. The worst part, same answer. <laughs> I don't know. But the truth of the matter is, when a preacher relates to people, he is one of the people. So he has to deal with himself. He has to look himself in the mirror every morning, too. Number five. Qualifications. Steadfast, but not self-willed. I, I, I read through these, and I, I just say... I'm glad that I am in a leadership position where there's three of us. Lord willing, it'll be four. To be alone in leadership and to figure out whether you were steadfast or self-willed without somebody really, really close to you saying, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16 and he gave to some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith. Notice this. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we, notice that, we, henceforth no more, be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, 
from whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Steadfast. Steadfast. We need leaders that are steadfast. We need laity that is steadfast. All of us need to be steadfast. That's what we work for. That's what makes stability in the church. But we dare not be self-willed. When I am self-willed, I build walls that people can't get through. And that is particularly true about a bishop. Self-willed. Everything's got to end up the way the bishop wants it. And so I'm preaching to myself on that one. Number six, rooted in the faith, but not wishy-washy. And as I said before, the future of Prairie Church is largely dependent on biblical preaching. I don't know. You know, preaching today in our culture is kind of mundane, people think. It's easier to get the crowd with the movie, or it's easier to get the crowd with something more exciting, or some kind of a group come to do this or that or the other. Preaching of the cross is foolishness to the world, but is the power of God to us who believe. And so, one qualification of leadership in the church is rooted in the faith, but not wishy-washy. Number seven, Second Timothy two twenty-four. And a servant of God must not strive, but be gentle to all men, apt to teach. The minister must have the tendency to be able to teach. In other words, public speaking may not come easy at first, necessarily. Uh, but they need to be apt. They need to be, that should be within their abilities. Apt to teach, patient, and meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken by captive by him at his will. Now, I usually think about as a minister teaching, it's it's right up here. But in this passage of scripture, it also includes in some fairly severe conflict. A minister should be able to teach even those that oppose themselves and 
don't make sense. You say one thing and then they say another thing and it seems like it's contradictory and whatever. Um, teaching may even become in adverse circumstances. So apt to teach. Number eight, free from the lure of worldly success. Second Timothy 2, 4. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. That applies to all of us tonight. doesn't matter whether we're in leadership or not in leadership, whether we will be in leadership by Monday morning. Um... It's something we need to understand, brothers and sisters, tonight, that whether you're a leader or whether you're not, this world is a battleground. It's not a playground. The lure of worldly success. What does the world say success is? They say it's power. They say it's money. They say it's the praise of men. They say it's the social acceptance. And the list could go on and on and on. But Paul says to Timothy, we need to stay detangled. We need to detangle ourselves. Free ourselves from the love of money, the love of power, the love of the praise of men, love of social acceptance, etc. And Moses was a prime example of that. Moses, it says in Hebrews eleven twenty four, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather he chose. He made a decision. Choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Moses had all of that, what I just referred to, offered on a silver platter. Here you go, Moses, can be all yours. And he looked at it and he said, No way. There is no way. I would rather be on God's side and suffer whatever reproach comes through that because I know what a true reward is. Number nine, qualifications for leadership, living an example of life, living a life of example to others. And we would say today, someone who walks the talk. Someone who walks the talk. Paul says to Timothy, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thy example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Walk the walk. Walk the talk. Uh, the Bible talks about ruling well his own house. Leadership is proven at home. Rule well his own house. Um, a person's life must back up their words. Now, that doesn't mean your children are all perfect. At least I hope not. 
but it means that the leader is striving for perfection. He is working. And a leader makes mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. If we make mistakes, we simply apologize, we learn from our mistakes, and we go on. A living example. Sum, up, sum it up tonight. I would say this, qualification of a leader to be a good leader, a man must realize that accepting responsibility is not optional. A leader must be a leader. Um, to take a leadership position and with no intention of taking the responsibility, the accountability that goes with leadership is setting ourselves up for great disappointment. I'm sure that we could talk longer, but this evening I believe we will have this to suffice.